Welcome back to the 430 Movie. We got our expert programmers here to curate Fantasy Theme Week's of classic film from 1998 film directed by Steven Soderbergh called Out of Sight yes Soderbergh directs it with such a sort of confident self-assured style Lex Luthor in Superman what is it about Gene Hackman that uh... his performance it's off the charts but still in reality fiendishly gifted 1981 Sam Raimi Opus The Evil Dead oh yes fine choice Sam Raimi invented entirely new ways to get shots that should not have been possible with the amount of money that he did not have charade oh directed by Stanley Donnan it's a textbook screenplay it's just effortless and there's not a wrong note in this movie can't say enough great things about it we'll be back next Friday with an all new episode of the 430 movie wherever you listen to podcasts join us now for the 430 Movie. The 430 Movie Podcast is available weekly wherever you listen to podcasts and on the free Electric Now app. Download it today. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And if you're a fan of this podcast, you already know the 50-year mission is the definitive oral history of Star Trek. And Secrets of the Force will tell you everything you want to know about the history of Star Wars. But what you probably don't know is Ed Gross and I have a new book coming out this July. They shouldn't have killed his dog. The complete uncensored ass-kicking oral history of John Wick, Gun Fu, and the new age of action. Coming from St. Martin's in hardcover, digital, and audio. You can order it today. Sundays on Electric Now. Tune in to the official Leverage Redemption After Show, a very distinctive podcast with me, Yell Teagle, and my co-host, Felicia Michelle. Each week, we'll be breaking down another episode of Leverage Redemption. Plus, we've got exclusive interviews with the stars, as well as some games, and we'll even be showing off some amazing fan art. So after you watch Leverage Redemption on IMDb TV, you'll definitely want to join us here to catch all the Easter eggs and behind-the-scenes fun. The official Leverage Redemption After Show, a very distinctive podcast. Sundays on Electric Now. If you like listening to this podcast, you'll love watching us on Electric Now, the free video streaming app featuring video versions of all your favorite Electric Surge podcasts, along with full seasons of The Librarians, Leverage, the exclusive Leverage Redemption After Show, as well as Flash Gordon serials, hysterical comedy specials, and much more. Download it today from your favorite app store or watch us on Roku, Stir, DistroTV, Zumo, Sling, or Plex. Welcome to Best Movies Never Made, the podcast where we explore interesting and infamous movies that never made it to or through production. I am your co-host, Josh Miller, and with me, as always, is Mr. Steven Scarlatta. How are you doing today, Josh? Uh, I'm doing good. How about yourself? I'm doing all right. Uh, We are continuing our epic, multi-parted, unmade Batman series, joined by our guests, Pat Casey and Ed Greer. How are you guys? I'm doing well. This is Pat. Doing great. This is Ed. He's doing better than me. Uh, So we are just going to pick up right where we left off in the previous episode. So now we meet Gordon, who these are the changes in these adaptations that always baffle me the most is that his name is David Gordon in this script. But why? Yeah. How's that better than Jim Gordon? (laughs) I don't know. Maybe it's an error. I'm not sure. But I feel it was in both drafts. Um, you know, so this is Batman's going around stopping criminals. Of course, Gordon has, uh, uh, you know, a subordinate who I think is named Haley in this. 
who's telling him stuff about Batman. That might be Bullock in like a, another version of this. Um, let's see here. Yeah, the Batman scene in his majestic totality for the first time. Yeah, it's just him. So there's like a whole montage of him going around, initially dealing with the cops, that classic. The cops are trying to get him. There's a whole bit where two cop cars are inexplicably going to, are both driving at him. Uh, and it's like he defeats them by somersaulting over one of them and the cars crash into each other. When I'm like, even if they'd hit him, they still would have crashed into each other. They just sort of <laughs> horrifyingly sandwiched him in but between these are cops we're talking about, Josh. I, are, I feel like they might have tried that. That's true. Yeah, they're, they're <laughs> infinitely inferior to Batman. And it's almost like a, in a Indiana Jones 3 when that Nazi dude flies his plane way down like to ground level and then goes into a tunnel that his wings could never accommodate. So like, why were you doing that? Like, what was, what was your thinking behind that maneuver? It'll be cool when I slide past the, the Classic car. stupid Nazis. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't quite sure. We have a scene where Elf, Alfred greets Bruce coming out of the Batcave all beat up. And I'm not really sure if Alfred already knows he's Batman and is just being, you know, being disapproving or if this is when he discovers it. It's when he discovers it, I feel like he didn't quite have enough of a reaction. But Bruce is like, it's what I have to do, Alfred. After all these years of searching, it was always what I had to do. Um, now we cut to him back, though, in Bruce Wayne mode at the Gotham Country Club, playing his Bruce Wayne part, lounging by the pool. We have a stunning looking woman, Silver St. Cloud, uh, steps out onto the high board of the pool, dressed in a daringly cut shiny white latex tank suit a uh, shiny mane of glistening silver hair cascades down across her shoulders she pauses a shimmering white diamond in the sun uh, and he, we latex that, outfit huh yeah That's that thorn bold. rupert thorn has been you know now these decades later rupert thorn has been lounging next to bruce bruce and him know each other is like your her name's Silver St. Cloud, Phi Beta Kappa, master's degree in political science. Just arrived in Gotham City to finish her doctorate on municipal government. And guess which city council drew her as an intern? Uh, and he's <laughs> kind of grossly has the hots for her as well. Um, Bruce and her, much like you were saying, Pat, with uh, uh, Talia and the other thing, it's just kind of like them seeing each other are both have some dream weaver moments. Um, <laughs> Bruce is kind of embarrassingly bumbly in this scene reveals that he's throwing a birthday party for Gordon invites silver. We reveal that Thorne does not like Gordon. Um, we cut then to the party that Bruce is throwing for Gordon. Noting names. Like, is Gordon giving... the commissioner in this? Already? Yeah, he's already commissioner. Okay. Uh, Bruce is like, they're giving you a pretty hard time about that Batman, aren't they? Gordon nods, tossing back his drink angrily. I'd give up half my pension to be standing face to face with that caped fruitcake right now. Waka waka. <laughs> um, this has so... a lot of, uh, he's a fruitcake. He's a crossdresser. They call him a crossdresser <laughs> two or three times. A yep. transvestite, a crossdresser, and a fruitcake all in a row. It's because he's wearing a cape and tights, I guess. <laughs> There's really nothing that feminine about his outfit, but whatever, you know. Yeah, Gordon. most of the people at Stonewall were dressed like Batman. I have it on historical authority. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Silver shows up. She asks Bruce to dance. Uh, you know, they start dancing. She's like, something wrong? And he's like, you're leading. And she's like, I asked you, remember? They have a very, you know, kind of Howard Hoxian bantery dialogue some of which uh, is pretty fun uh, i enjoyed some of it uh then the, so then uh, 
this is definitely a reality breaking moment though is something like the, the bruce is informed that there's two singing there's some singing telegrams who showed up dressed as keystone cops and normally i'd think well, this is a party for the police commissioner you'd think there's some level of security and they'd be aware of like what entertainment they invited to this but that clearly was not and he's just like yeah whatever let them in and the keystone cops enter doing some wacky bits one of them pulls off a mask to reveal that they are the joker <gasps> the joker crosses the garden with an empty uh, lots of weird things like they oh this is the whole bit where they pull off a framed photo of martha wayne and one of the keystone cops punches Martha Wayne in the face and you know knocks the the painting out of the frame but now Joker has very an, rude Joker has an empty frame and he goes over to Gordon and puts it in front of both of them and you know he's like I always wanted to frame a police commissioner <laughs> uh, that kind of bits <laughs> uh, now we establish an important thing in here though that when Bruce gets really angry his jaw starts to twitch I'm curious what that would have looked like in execution I'm assuming the they're doing this so that still can notice it when it happens to Batman later. You are correct, Pat. Oh, that is, that is exactly it. what happens. Um, but basically, they just embarrass uh, the police commissioner and they rob everyone and leave. And so then we cut back to Gordon. And Bruce just doesn't do anything about it. Uh, you know, he like tries to chase them out and like punches a guy, but ultimately doesn't catch any of them. Yeah. Um, but we cut back to Gordon depressed in his office. Everyone's like made fun of him while he was walking <laughs> through, through the station to his office for the embarrassing thing of getting robbed. There's a whole thing in that too, where um, when he's still a Keystone cop, the Joker's like, you know, doing a magic trick and asks to see his watch and smashes it and steals it or whatever. Um but then Batman shows up to Gordon's office. Gordon pulls a gun at him to arrest him. But he's, you know, we share the same dream, Gordon. You know, we do trust your intuition. Join me. Uh, so then they team up, <laughs> start the back signal. Now we get a yet, yet another montage of Batman going around, just like fucking kicking ass on all these criminals. The, everyone loves Batman, though. This is not like a Spider-Man situation where the papers have turned the people against Batman. Um, and this is again, where we like, for the most part, I feel like totally this is again, kind of a Batman animated series, but then there are these moments that feel a little bit more Adam Westy where we cut to like the mayor giving Batman the key to the city and that kind of shit. <laughs> oh. You know, I, pro I proclaim Batman. <laughs> this city's man of the year. Year. Hell, the man of a lifetime, that kind of stuff. <laughs> It's funny um, that they did like him and as enemy of the cops, but so briefly and then went so mm -hmm. fully the other way where he's the cop's best friend. Uh, all right. And then we jump to the Gotham City Zoo where Bruce is uh, kind of on a date with Silver, but really the scene is him trying to break up with her and that kind of classic like, you know, I don't have time. My life's too fucked up. You don't know me, blah, blah, blah. The truth is I can never be in love with anyone. I'm too selfish. In fact, I'm all I need. That's the truth. And she like looks him in the eyes and is like, liar. And they start making out. And then we pan over to a penguin. <laughs> uh, and this is a very surprising when you don't know it's coming transition into uh, the penguin, the villain's bedroom. And we'll talk about this, I guess, once we're done reading it, but it is an interpretation of the penguin 
that I am uh, less familiar with. So I'm curious to ask Pat and Ed about it. Um, but let's see, in this, uh, Ed, why don't you be Penguin? Um, I'll continue to be Joker. Pat, you be Empress. Mm-hmm. And Steve, you be uh, Marabo, or however you pronounce that. All right, here we Hopefully go. Hopefully Steve won't have to pronounce his own name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so it's like camera pans in to one large penguin, zooms in as it preens its flightless wings, dissolve to interior penguin's bedroom, day. Camera pans to a spacious bedroom, which is entirely decorated in black and white. A huge four-poster bed dominates, covered by a piece of drapery in the shape of an open umbrella, also in black and white. It frames the figure of the penguin, who lies in bed, an ice pack on his head, a thermometer sticking out of his mouth. This is an elegant man, dressed in a white robe with a black collar, propped up on a black silk sheets against black and white checkered pillows. A cooing sound makes him glance at a partially open window where a pigeon has landed. Now looks at him questioningly. The penguin makes a clucking bird-like sound to welcome, of welcome to which the pigeon seems to recognize. It flies over to his bed, hops onto his lap. A statuesque woman, empress, enters, carrying a taurine of shrimp embedded in ice. She wears a tight wool body stocking, a muffler wrapped around her neck. Here, sweetie, eat them while they're nice and frozen. Feel better? A smidge. The penguin removes his thermometer, looks at it. 65 degrees. Normal. I can't understand it. (laughs) He takes a bite of frozen shrimp, removes the ice pack from his head, slips it inside his robe. He leans in, tugs on the empress's muffler, gently smiles. Feel... I think feel, it's supposed to be like, like? Yeah, okay. lots of typos. I yeah. uh, feel like feathering the nest for a while. If you let me turn the thermostat up to 40, that was our deal, remember? He strokes mm. her face tenderly, makes his clucking sound. Shivers <laughs> run up and down her body. Confess. Wait, when you're with me, it's always Honolulu in your heart. Are you kidding? It's so cold in here, a flasher would have described himself. I I really don't understand that line. Um, There's a knock from the doorway. A seven-foot, sallow-looking butler, Marabou, with a vulture-like face enters, or appears. Excuse me, Mr. Penguin. I'm trying. Your (laughs) lunching guest has arrived. Thank you, Marabou. May I take your luncheon order now, sir? The pigeon pigeon coos from the penguin's lap. He looks down. Why, yes, Marabou, you may. His hands wa- his hand wanders below frame. We hear the sound of a neck snapping. <laughs> the empress turns away in disgust. Interior penguin's dining room day, an elegant dining room. At one end of a checkered black and white table, the penguin, dressed in white tie and tails, he pops an icy codfish ball in his mouth. Even for a criminal as phenomenally gifted as I, this is indeed an honor, sir. At the other end, the Joker, teeth chattering, not touching his food, wrapped in a heavy overcoat with muffler and earmuffs. He blows into his hands. Four sets of candelabra are drawn in around him for warmth. Nice little meat locker you've got here. Where'd you buy it from? Bird's eye? A 
from? Who'd you buy it from? Bird's Eye? I don't get that. That's like a brand of frozen foods, right? Oh, I get it. A frozen Mm. giggle collapses. The penguin blinks stoically. I'm heartbroken. You haven't touched your food. I had that clownfish cooked especially for you. Do you prefer codfish balls? I don't know. I never attended any. (laughs) He's so super cold. But seriously, Big Bird, I need a favor. Outside of possibly offering you a brain scan, how may I I be of help? (laughs) I've worked hard to make Gotham a city we could all be proud of. The kind of place where an ambitious young hood could come home after a hard day dealing drugs and get some peaceful sleep at night. But all that was BB. Before Batman. Rimshot. I'd like to send that cowled cop lover on a little trip tomorrow night, but I'm going to need you to provide the flight insurance. (laughs) Which reminds me, do you know what you get when you make love to the wrong canary? I haven't a clue. Twerps. Twerpies. Oh, (laughs) duh. <laughs> he explodes with laughter. The stare. Penguin stares blankly. Not only that, but the disease is completely untweetable. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, wait. So, has there is there uh, examples from the comics of a version of Penguin when he's like all about cold? Because I, you know, I associate well, like, that with Mister Freeze. In the comics, yeah, for a long time now. Because it's sort of been like Penguin used to be an arch foe who would like break out of prison and get sent back like the Joker and everybody else. But basically for the last several decades, it's sort of like the Penguin's the criminal who never gets caught. He runs a nightclub called the Iceberg Lounge. Is that what it is, Ed? Um, I do. I, I think it's that Ar- Arctic Lounge, Iceberg Lounge, something like that. But it's like a cold themed like nightclub. But it's not like he's got to be surrounding himself with ice packs, really. And also, a lot of this just seems to be that he's just eating stuff that's disgusting. It kind of seems like more like he's disgusting more than anything else, which I is guess, kind of what they went with for Batman Returns. Yeah, mm-hmm. like Danny DeVito, yeah. Well, yeah, it's like Frozen. I mean, it, it makes sense, I guess, because he's a penguin. He's a penguin. But yeah. uh, it is the kind of thing where if this had succeeded... Could they have ever done Mr. Freeze? You know? Uh... Yeah, I, I think I think they're trying to they're trying, guys. They're trying to give this a little gravitas anyway. <laughs> I mean, he's they got can. the like bl- yeah, the black and white uh mm-hmm. color scheme and umbrellas. They're just leaning into it. <laughs> um, all right, but so now the penguins at play. And so this is the other weird difference, though, between the second draft. All the scenes are almost exactly the same, like word for word, not even similar. Like it's just copy and paste, except there's just no penguin. Like it'll be so like that scene, some of the dialogue is repurposed and it's more like conversations because it's around the same time that Thorne is revealed to the audience. The thing about how like this was a nice city where a drug dealer could go home. And it's more like Joker will be saying that to thorn instead who's right around here revealed to be evil to the audience who aren't familiar with the character and thus don't know the whole time that he's going to be evil but we also have in this scene we go in the bat cave and bruce and alfred are testing a new force field 
that Bruce has invented. God, he's like, so high tech. All these like shining blue <laughs> lights and he's like, fire this gun at me. Uh, and it's like a wacky scene because it's like right about he's the fire. Bruce is like, no, wait. And it, I think it's like, oh, wait, is the force field not going to work? But then it's like the bullet just shoots right back at Elford and Alfred has to duck. And Bruce was like, I meant to tell you to duck. And I was like, wow, that, I mean, really? Like, even if you told him to duck, he's an old man. Was he gonna, <laughs> yeah, what's Alfred really like in this script? Uh, you know, pretty like animated series. Like he, it's not the like tough version of Alfred who knows how mm-hmm. to fucking kick ass. It's just kind of his butler who cares about him. I mean, and he he gives him of- wisdom. He gives him this weird tacit support that does that never seems correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Josh, but it just seems like he's 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 on board in that he doesn't stop Batman, but he doesn't seem to be frothing at the mouth like certain Alfred portrayals to help Batman do stuff, if that makes sense. He's a very passive version of Alfred. Yeah, he's not the kind of Alfred who's like basically Batman's crime fighting partner. No. Which is funny because uh, I think even in that that Uslan script earlier, like they they he notes like this Alfred's more like a partner to Batman than a servant. But then it's like, they do all those jokes of him, like taking in Batman's pants while Batman like makes fun of him and stuff too. (laughs) (laughs) I think Mankiewicz had David Niven uh, in his mind when he wrote Alfred. That's who he wanted. Yeah. That'd be fun. Um, So the scene where we find out Thorn is revealed to be evil is because silver shows up to find thorn tied up by the joker joker squirts her with a flower knocks her out and then just unties thorn i guess so she witnessed that and they have a whole conversation where thorn is being evil but then we cut to when gordon batman have shown up at the scene silver's talking to batman she's kind of she wants a ride home from batman i don't think she quite suspects that he's bruce wayne yet um also weird thing in the second draft there's a whole thing here where in the office they're finding all these stolen items from over the years that the joker has got like um i think gordon finds the watch that you know joker had taken from him at that birthday birthday party but more relevantly we see that thorn has martha wayne's necklace and it's interesting that this again all the same stuff's happening from the first draft but only this element is only in the second draft uh anyway um there's a whole scene where silver and batman are in the elevator in the first script the penguin is flying above them in the elevator shaft <laughs> with like an umbrella little helicopter to cut the cable in the second draft it's all the same stuff but it's joker who does it does it cuts the cable uh i mean it's and kind of like pat you're noting that you can imagine the version where the young couple leave the subway car and we get like a little joke. There's stuff in here of like when the elevator shaft is falling and Batman and silver are like hanging in there, a cleaning lady opens the elevator and it, you know, discovers some of this insanity and just has like a, you know, take uh, very eighties, late seventies, eighties kind of fun New York will world building cameos. Here. And he, he says something like uh, she, she says, uh, when they're about to get on the elevator, she goes, "I oh, you're going to take the elevator? I thought we might jump out the window or something like that. Yeah, okay. exactly. Yeah. And then all that shit happens. And then and then, and then then Batman goes, oh, maybe next time we'll take the window. The window. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's totally. good. Um, so then this leads to a, a pretty epic uh, 
action set piece that in the first draft involves the penguin and his, his goons second draft involves joker and his goons otherwise it's all exactly the same um the batmobile shows up a remote control him and silver get in flying around he activates that force field that we established so it's kind of like the whole car would be glowing blue through a lot of this to repel bullets um again kind of like silly little fun bits three of penguins uh confederates they keep calling them whiz down with jet packs and batman looks over to silver and he's like do you know what the number one hazard is on the american road these days surprise me tailgaters and the trunk of batman's batmobile suddenly pops open and a giant horseshoe magnet swivels out <laughs> pointing behind the car on the bandits uh, or angle on bandit number three screaming wide-eyed as the force field powerful magnet spins him in midair and sucks him into the trunk and the trunk closes shut on him i don't know if they ever establish what becomes of uh that goon who was just he's in just, his trunk he's just dead he ran, uh, there's he a, ran out of oxygen there's a large razor razor sharp like battering ram that pops out of the batmobile to smash into stuff but most importantly in this scene pat as you already noted silver notices batman's jaw twitching and is like <gasps> dun 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 uh there's some more wacky uh 80s shenanigans here where the penguin it's funny so I was just going to say, oh. like, Silver St. Cloud is the girl in, like, literally every single one of these. And I feel like in the comics, she was around for, like, seven or eight issues only. Like, dude, dude. from this, okay. you'd think yeah. that she was, like, Lois Lane, where she's been the love interest for Batman in hundreds and hundreds of issues over decades. She had a very small but impactful run well, in the And comics. what was from Spider-Man? That was, like, Peter Parker's first girlfriend ever that they, like, gave up on quickly in the comics. Uh, but, uh, uh, well, Gwen Stacy was, like, Gwen. a big was... deal, but Betty Brant. I think, yeah, Betty Brant was his first, like, oh, this is going to be my girl. And then she... Was Betty um, Jonah's assistant? Is that her? I, I think so, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, but she knew him in high school, too. Mm. So, so it was like, yeah, they, they gave him a little chick. But yeah, you're right. But there, comic book movies do that stuff all the time, though. I mean, this version of, the version of, of Tony Stark that we got in movies is literally from, like, four comics. In a row. <laughs> you know what I mean and they were able to go outward so it's weird what what eras get stuck in people's head as like the definitive like we've been stuck in Batman beats up everybody can beat up Superman land for 30 years and that was like 10 minutes of time in the yeah. comics and but even in the comics started to reiterate it a bunch so now it seems to have permeated when really it was like one guy's note became everybody's way to do it for a while so you're right about that uh but then that whole action set piece ends with another one of these like 70s, 80s kind of goofy bit part uh, jokes where the penguin crash lands into a kid's bar mitzvah, the, lands at the end of the banquet table, sending food and guests flying everywhere as he skids along, clearing it, finally splattering to a stop through an enormous pile of chicken livers into a mountain of cracked ice under a banner reading, today you are a man. The stunned guests hesitate a moment, then burst into wild, unrestrained applause. <laughs> then uh, there's a scene where we're watching the Joker is Wild, you know, game show on TV, which the Joker shows up on. And he's like, you see, I'm in the process of developing a new series. 
of killings, all original, all different. Believe me, folks, you're going to die laughing. There's only one man who can cancel my little show, The Batman, because now, because... Okay, from now on, each time he appears in public, every time he's seen anywhere, one prominent citizen in Gotham will die. I'm tired of fighting you, Batman, so the people are going to do it for me. Either you lose or they do. So That's pretty good. That's a pretty yeah, good plan. Batman basically has to retire or people are going to start to die. And so uh, Batman's like, shit. I don't know what I can do, but I'm still going to go to the opening of the opera. Uh, He wants to take (laughs) silver, um, but she's already already going with Rupert Thorne. So he and Alfred go as a, as a Alfred is his date. Um, (laughs) And while they're at the gala opening of the opera, Batman and Alfred are both very surprised when, or Bruce and Alfred are very surprised when Batman shows up. Dun dun dun! Silver is also confused because she had already determined that Bruce was Batman. Uh, this Batman's a huge fuckface to everybody, <laughs> and the yeah, crowd's yeah. basically like, "What are you doing here, Batman? You know, the Joker City's gonna kill people if you show up." And he's basically like, "What are you gonna fucking do?" About it? <laughs> <laughs> I love that actually. <laughs> uh, and then Thorn shows up. Um, so basically, so he can be like, yeah, Batman, you're being an asshole. Uh, I think that Batman just like leaves. Oh, Gordon like ushers him away because everyone's yeah. so mad. And Batman's basically just like flipping him the bird. He doesn't do that. Can but... Gordon not tell that this is not the real no. Batman? Gordon thinks oh, this no. is the real Batman. And he's he's sort of aghast too that Batman suddenly being such a shithead. Oh, it's just uh, real, real I'm just quick. picturing him like carrying like a six pack uh, for this. <laughs> Like, yeah, let's, let's get out of here, Batman. Let's go hang out and see what your issues are. But what like, were you going to say, Ed? Uh, there's a scene of uh, Thor, when Thorn, right when this Thorn goes, uh, what Batman did, j- just did, was inexcusable, perhaps even criminal. But he's right about one thing. No cheap hoodlum is going to intimidate Rupert Thorn while I still have saliva to spit on him. <laughs> my ticket says E6, and that's where I'm parking my keister for the next few hours. And uh, and I call upon his honor, the mayor, to join me in the audience. And then the mayor comes up, and the mayor is like the mayor from Jaws or something. He just wants to stay out of it or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and he's super scared of the situation. So like Thorn grandstanded in front of everybody after basically driving Batman away. So it's just anybody yeah. would have seen this as an ultimate frame up job to blow yeah. uh, Thorn. You know what I mean? But uh, it's, it's it's fantastic. Uh, and then cool. this is actually a scene that I feel if executed right would have been a. a pretty great batman movie scene where they're all watching the opera and it's this very serious you know moment where the uh, performer's on stage and it's like a you know sad scene of him bemoaning whatever and then all of a sudden the mayor and his friends in their private box starts like slowly snickering and then snickering louder and louder and then start laughing and then you know performer on stage is getting really insulted uh until they all suddenly fucking die because uh, they've been poisoned by Joker gas. They were not sitting by Thorin, I take it. The mayor no. is home. Thorin okay. is uh, off in his own. Because he, he's with Silver. Uh, oh, and just real quick. And also, the the, the there's a, a, a cylinder in a chandelier above them 
that is full of liquid. And when homeboy hits the high C, it like cracks oh, the right. cylinder yeah, yeah. and the liquid drops down the, the sound. Right yeah. the it's that it's crazy. Like that's Rube great. Goldberg I love that. of it. it, it I, I gotta say to though, it's that. insane that silver just figured out that Bruce was Batman, but then she went to the opera with Thor instead of with Bruce, the dude she's in love with who she just figured out is Batman. I just well, got to call I'm skimming over. Like there's stuff where, you know, she like, tries to kiss him as Batman and you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. it just kind of, it doesn't quite work out. The, to me, the weirdest thing about this is that Batman does not like invest all the energy he has into chasing down this fake Batman. Yeah. And he's like, moment. I'm just going to sit and watch the opera anyway. Um, <laughs> he kind of disappears or something in the movie. Like there's no resolution I mean, he, to he it. He does disappear, but I still feel like he's Batman. Bruce is Batman. Like, if he wants mm-hmm. to find somebody, he's very good at being like, hold on, I'll okay. be right back. Because if he's with Alfred, so he doesn't even need to say, hold yeah. on. He'd be like, yo, Alfred, let's go fucking chase this guy down. You go that way, I'll go this way. Yeah, because um, I was kind of interested in like, who is this guy? But it kind of doesn't go anywhere. Um, but, that. you know, so uh, everybody hates Batman now. Uh, as Ed noted, this was all really just to puff up Thorn. Thor is, is now appointed mayor because the mayor's dead. Uh, <laughs> Bruce is in a big funk because he can't go out in public as Batman. And he's just sad. And he's it's, it's sort of interesting. I guess we've kind of seen this. And I'm, I'm trying to remember if there was something like this in uh, the Daredevil movie. But basically, Batman is just like sad rage exercising for like many pages in a <laughs> row <laughs> where he's just, you know, like Kevin Bacon going out to that barn to dance and footloose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then this ends where he's in his pool rage swimming uh, and then Silver <laughs> shows up carrying like a tray with drinks on it, being all sexy. Uh, and she's like, I thought you were. Oh, yeah. She go wades out into the pool with the drinks and they have some, you know, sexy banter. Uh, and then she's like, I thought you were being rude, not getting out of the pool to say hello. I didn't realize you weren't wearing a bathing suit. Uh, <laughs> bow, chick, bow, bow. Cut to more uh, Batman bang scenes. <laughs> um, and then, uh, uh, which Ed has already kind of teased up at the beginning of all this, we get to the next kind of wild turn i guess i wasn't that wild introducing penguin it was more just like i was not expecting there to be a second villain introduced so late in the game and so casually with like no we're we're now we're used to villains showing up with their own like origin story so it's kind of surprising to see that just like and the penguins out there already Uh, but anyway we cut to the circus where Bruce and Silver are on a date. Page 100. I think it's it's either 99 or 100 where we're at right now. Uh, Very late in the script. And you might be able to guess where this is going. The (laughs) star act of the circus is the Flying Graysons. Uh, So we go through a whole scene of them watching the whole Grayson family do their trapeze act when Dick Grayson's parents are up on the trapeze with no net. Uh, The Joker... She releases a falcon and the falcon flies up and like pokes him in the face uh, and Grayson's so parents funny. fall off the trapeze and I die. I hate that. <laughs> the flying Grayson's could not be felled by a mere falcon. falcon. That's, that's bullshit. <laughs> but it's a joke of falcon. Um, chaos happens, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Batman's like, I've risked my life to help this. Oh, this is so then fake Batman shows up 
to yell at the crowd and be an asshole some more. He's like, I've risked my life to help this city. I stood up for what I knew was right because I thought you people were willing to stand with me. Well, now you can pay for your cowardice. Now I don't care how many of you die. Fuck off. <laughs> <Or whatever. laughs> but now, and Bruce is there in the crowd yes. with Silver. And okay. now finally yeah. Bruce tries to chase down fake Batman and just doesn't catch him. He's like, oh, maybe I should figure out who this asshole is. Uh, it doesn't work. Um, but this leads to they run into like a tiger cage and Silver's attacked by a tiger and Batman saves her and she has a good attitude. Does he have to like it. punch the tiger out? Uh, I don't think so. No, he he pushes the tiger jumps out and he pushes Silver St. Cloud down to the ground and the tiger whizzes over them. Yeah. And then they but start she hurts running her or whatever. hand is kind yeah. of the only real after fact. Um, well, so oh, she says, she says, uh, she says the doctor says no more crap games for a yes. week because <laughs> <laughs> her hand is hurt. I guess. Oh man. Uh, while silver is making that crack with Gordon, uh, Bruce goes over to Dick and is like, Hey, yo, my parents got murdered in front of me as well. Uh, we cut to a judge trying Batman in absentia and he is found guilty of murder and sentenced to death. Batman is. Uh, <laughs> then we hard cut to a different judge declaring Richard Grayson to be the legally designated ward of Bruce Wayne. Again, as it noted, this is like page 100 in an 120 page script. <laughs> so we are very late into this story. Um, Dick reveals to Batman that he made a promise to kill Batman someday. Or sorry, he really reveals to Bruce that he promised to kill so Batman. So the judge and everybody, they think that Batman released that Falcon? Yes. Okay. They all just think he's an asshole. Well, I think he's part of it at least, because like Joker comes out, releases the Falcon, yeah, but then, then Batman, Batman shows up, up and is just like, oh, you see what happens when you don't fuck with your boy, Batman? Mm. You see what happens, you losers? So I like, also believe the yeah. audience doesn't see Joker release the Falcon. They just yeah. see that fucking shit happens. Wait, or something so, like they, that. so they catch the fake Batman? No, they don't catch it. Oh, okay. Yeah. He's getting... tried in absentia. The judge, oh, okay. the city just yeah. holds a hearing with no Batman there and sentences him to death. That's the yeah, amazing they, they, thing. They talk to an empty chair like Clint Eastwood did Obama. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, get out of here, Batman. Um, so then uh, in the second draft only, Thorne, who's still in love with Silver, gives her a necklace, which the audience recognizes again as Martha Wayne's necklace that Joe Chill got in that opening scene. Uh, we have a Thorne Joker scene where their new plan to puff up Thorne is Joker is going to kidnap Silver so that Thorne, this is all good. She's going to kidnap Silver so Batman will come to save her. And Joker will kill Batman and Thorne will also simultaneously rescue Silver and she'll want to bone him is clearly his whole plan there. Um, I'm still that, picturing Thorne the way he was in the animated series, though, where he's like a fat, gross old man. I mean, Silver's like this hot young thing. This, this like if they'd gross. made this movie because John <laughs> Vernon from Animal House voiced Thorne on the TV show and he actually would have made a good Thorne in the movie as well, I think. 
Uh, that makes it better. Just like the, the fat, gross old dude. Like, yeah. you know, as, as a, I'm, I am a fat, old, gross dude. And I'm going to be a worse one in like five years. And just, you see how they, they keep minting these hot chicks. And it's like, <laughs> I missed my chance. Ah, <laughs> oh, when I was 20, I was a piece of shit. I had acne. I worked at a store. I bad grocery. I didn't have opportunity, but now I'm a rich, fat old man. And maybe I can Spengali you up. Ugh. Uh, I think it's, it makes it better in this, that he's just chasing this totally unattainable, <laughs> Totally age inappropriate. What the fuck are you doing? He's willing to sacrifice the entire city His for this. For this turn. Um, also, Thorne fires Jim Gordon and basically, as mayor, assumes the duties of the commissioner, which I don't really think a mayor can do, but whatever. It's a comic book movie. Um, Thorne calls Batman on the bat phone to tell him about silver being it's a red phone like on the series yeah i believe so mm-hmm. right ed i'm trying to it's got, it's got a light yeah it's a red bat phone and there's a light even when batman's not in the room i think it is that you can see it through, under the door or something like the light of it it's like a very bright light that pulsates from the, from uh, the shit. now we have kind of a classic scene of dick going down in the bat cave to discover that bruce is batman overhears him talking to alfred uh i guess it's kind of still position that he's like i'm gonna fucking kill you now but as we've highlighted already this is like mere pages before the movie essentially ends so that doesn't really happen it's more just that he's like oh bruce is batman oh so batman's not so bad i guess uh is ultimately (laughs) what the decision he makes his responsibility to kill bruce bruce killed his parents as far as he knows yeah, um, I think I think that the way they get around it is uh, when when he's sneaking up on Alfred and Batman talking. Batman's like, "That boy up there thinks that Batman killed his parents." Man, I gotta resolve this, dude. I gotta go beat these dudes' ass and bring the right people to justice. And so mm-hmm. Dick, knowing that he's feels that Batman's unobserved, you know what I mean? Thinks that it's I think that's quite even enough. Bothered to do it? It's so short. I know. And mm-hmm. I almost felt like this was leading up to him being like, "I'm going to kill Batman next time." Like James Franco deciding to kill Spider Man at the end of uh, Spider Man One. I mean, this know? this could have led to some interesting compl- complications if they'd introduced Dick much earlier in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but now we cut to the giant typewriter set piece, which is the Gotham <laughs> Museum. <laughs> The deserted museum with the billboard, Great American Traditions. This month, American Writers and Writing. Okay, Mankiewicz. This is the actual giant typewriter mm-hmm. that uh, Ernest Hemingway yeah. used. <laughs> by, the, by the way, to go back, man, I just realized in, in James Cameron's Spider-Man, Peter does yell, I'll kill you, motherfucker. You, you hear me? He <laughs> yeah. does yell that. Too. But uh, by the way, the, the giant typewriter, I had to look this up because I thought this was a tribute to the Batman uh, television series. But it was actually in Detective Comics, Comics uh, 474. He fights Deadshot on a giant typewriter. And just- As part of the Steve Englehart run uh, with Marshall Rogers. Uh, Which predates the script? It's the mm-hmm. run that introduced Silver St. Cloud. Okay. Everything in all these movies are like r- stealing from this like one like 12 issue run basically. Interesting. Yeah, because I couldn't, I was like, this has to be a tribute to that 60s show. But then the more more I looked, it was like, it wasn't even fighting the joke. He was fighting Deadshot and Deadshot's shooting the keys to the typewriter. That was the issue that reintroduced Deadshot and gave him his now iconic costume and made him cool after he'd been in like one issue decades before as like, 
a rival vigilante who was like better than Batman and he was like wearing like a tuxedo and he would like shoot the guns out of people's <laughs> hands mm-hmm. and it was one issue and Batman was like no he's a criminal and he was sent to prison and then was never mentioned again for 20 years until they brought him back and gave him this sweet new suit and now, now everybody loves him a good costume <laughs> uh, does a lot you know uh, but in well, that there, issue with the giant typewriter well there's uh, there's many giant things in this scene <laughs> this exhibit like the one including a giant penny consists of huge outsized versions of everyday items in this case the tools of a writer's trade enormous pencils erasers quill pens fountain pens ink wells a 10 foot high pencil sharpener tall volumes of the famous famous american novels etc in the center of display a giant electric typewriter some 30 feet wide a huge sheet of blank white paper is rolled up in it and silver is hooked into the typewriter ribbon Uh, they note there's 30 to 40 goons in this scene that's a lot of goons. Uh, this part <laughs> is like, so Joker is shooting the letters on the typewriter with a gun mm-hmm. to press them to type. I don't the think word. that would work on a typewriter. Yeah, that I don't huge. think so. You uh, have to jump on him. And he's typing <laughs> out the word dead. And I think, you know, Bat- Batman like shows up and gets all like caught up in it. Uh, and Dick then shows up already having decided in between scenes that, Batman is a hero. Uh, Dick bounces off the tab button. Is he dressed across. as Robin already? Or no, is he he's just, just a kid? Dick. Okay. Yeah, okay. he lands on the shift key. That ought to give you a lift, Batman, to help him. Uh, and this is, I love this part. This is written, note, the fight which follows will be outrageous and thrilling, but should look physically believable. The dynamic duo will overpower the gang using the following elements and devices. A, dick flinging goons back into the pointed tips of quill pens. B, Batman lifting a fountain pen lever, firing a river of ink at an onrushing group. C, both of them using springy huge erasers as launching platforms. D, oversized volumes of literature slamming shut on villains. E, enormous bookmarks and letter openers swung as clubs, knocking out three or four crooks at a time. F, heavies being hurled into huge deep inkwells, turning them sopping black wet, unable to climb out again. And finally, G, dick bashing a pair of thugs back into the side of a giant pencil sharpener. They slam back against the on button, activating it. Like, why would you write all these things prefaced by they should look physically believable? I mean, come on. You're just well, doing they, insane. Well, this list with like letters. I, I, I disapprove of the screenwriting technique. <laughs> uh, but that this is some, you know, these all would have been hilarious on the Adam West show. Also, I yeah. want just one really quick note for the people who might have bashed their, their computer or their device to listen to this <laughs> earlier. Um, the, the giant typewriter, I think, first shows up in like Batman number 52 of the first volume in like 1952 or whatever. They, that, that thing is older than time. It keeps oh, coming no back. Oh, so like, even the like, angle of heart was even uh, before that. one was like an homage to it begin with. The, the original, the, yeah, dude. It's like it's like a uh, Jack Nicholson in The Shining. That thing has been there forever. That the, the that that time that a uh, typewriter has been there for a while. Uh, but then Thorn shows up trying to execute his dumb incel plan of rescuing <laughs> Silver, um, and this is so. The end of this climax 
is totally super weird. And it seems like it would have been the ending of what I was saying, uh, talking about the that very first script, the Uslin one of me wanting like a fucked up 70s Batman movie. Because I feel like what this ending is where Silver calls out, says Bruce's name uh, to Batman to like warn him that Thorne's about to shoot him, which is also Thorne kind of realizes like, oh shit, that's Bruce Wayne. Thorne ends up accidentally shooting Silver. There's a slight difference in the second draft, if because you, you remember the second draft has Martha's necklace in it. So in that, mm. Batman sees that you know, and puts the pieces together that Thorne was involved in the murder of his mom. Both of them involve uh, Batman saying, may God damn you, Rupert Thorne. Wait, what was the Spider-Man line from the James Cameron thing <laughs> Oh, hold kill on, you, motherfucker. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty much it. It's I'll not as good as that, but this is the yeah, <laughs> may goddamn you. You hear me, you sick bastard. Yeah, you're dead. Uh, in the second draft, <laughs> specifically, then Batman has placed a huge, viciously sharp thumbtack in a giant rubber band pull tot. So, minus this part, I just made this sound like this was going to be very serious, but in the second draft, it includes this. So he puts a giant thumbtack in a rubber band, lets it fly. The thumbtack spears Thorn in the chest, topples him back, uh, which uh, blah, blah, blah. And he falls into a pencil sharpener and gets sharpened. It's like the end of Con Air, basically, of uh, Meltovich's insanely multi parted death. It's just this, the idea that Silver dies here and bruce is like cradling her and she's like maybe it's better you know i just get in the way and he's like don't i could never have really had you i could never fall in love with someone else either and then fucking dies and she's like but you're the one who's left behind and it's just like what the fuck Silver dies tragically. Get it, Batman. It's Chinatown. Uh, Meanwhile, (laughs) Joker just gets arrested and taken away by Gordon after Rupert Thorne gets stabbed by a giant thumbtack and pushed inside a giant. I love that the giant pencil sharpener is functional, though. Oh, yeah. Like, why would they? I don't know if they would have. Must be an electric one. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dude, Uh, check it out. After after that thing, when I read that scene, it actually almost moved me by how like I, it was incongruous and all that jazz and almost moved me. The very next thing is a dissolve through to the museum night. Commissioner Gordon supervises the aftermath of cleanup. Joker's getting yanked along by a cop and the Joker goes, take it easy. OK, I get winded open and clams. So like right after <laughs> that dramatic silver scene is like this goofy Joker joke as he's getting taken to jail for the infinite <laughs> nth time. Jesus, man. And then the very end is <laughs> exterior Gotham Museum Don. The gurney carrying Silver's body is loaded into an ambulance. It takes off, red lights flashing, sirens wailing. The rising sun is just beginning to crack the clouds on the horizon. Camera widens, starts to rise. The ambulance becomes a tiny red dot as we now view the magnificent downtown section of Gotham. Camera continues to rise, shooting up some 80 stories, then 90, then 100, finally revealing as we we dissolve as the dark majestic figure of Batman standing on the top edge of the tallest building of Gotham. He looks down silently, cape billowing out behind him, a regal black prince surveying his steel and concrete realm. Now swinging up and across from a nearby lower building, the imposing grim faced colorful figure of Robin dressed in his green shirt, red vest, 
a flowing yellow cape and black mask. He lands on the roof noiselessly. Batman's eyes acknowledge his presence without turning. Robin advances. They stop silently several paces behind. The dynamic duo has been joined. But for now and for the future adventures which await them in Gotham, fade to black, the end. Interesting they call Robin grim and imposing. <laughs> He's Robin. How, how old is Robin in the scripts? How old do they describe him? Uh, I'm trying to remember. Like 10 to 12. He's not. He's like little, though. He's not like yeah, an 18 a year older. Or like when they did it with Chris O'Donnell, where, where he's like, a, teen Robin, a, a fresh faced boy of 29 years old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got him off the set of uh, Beverly Hills 90210. He's ready to go. But yeah, that was, it, that was originally yeah. supposed to be Marlon Wayne's, though, right? Oh, for the Tim Burton wow. one. Yeah, he was going to have yeah. Marlon, supposedly. Yeah, which would have been cool. Oh, I, I would have loved that. I mean, I love the ending of Mo Money, that fucking action sequence. But um, <laughs> remember when fucking Damon Wayne's like He's fucking wraps the chain? Mo Money. Yeah, remember because it's a comedy, and then at the ending they're fighting on that fucking salt machine, and fucking Damon Wayne's wraps the chain around the fucking John Dahl, and he fucking hangs. And Damon What's Wayne's my name off. or whatever <laughs> Damon's catchphrase is. <laughs> Wait, but I feel like we should talk it's about this Megawitz script what? for a minute. We Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, the ending's dope, man. <laughs> uh, funny. Yeah, so there is a lot I like from this script, which just makes the parts that I don't like stand out a lot more. Uh, I, you know what? I, I think I enjoyed most, uh, just because this is basically all I have to say about it. Um, I enjoyed the preparing him section. As long as it was, it seemed appropriate. It didn't seem there was parts of it that made it seem overlong as they went into different aspects of his life. But if we're just talking about a nice way to show what someone would have to do to be Batman, that was awesome. But at the at on on the flip side, though, he'd be the first suspect to be Batman. He he <laughs> he can drive the best. He can. I think in one of these scripts, he like climbs a mountain and gets to the top and leaves his friends behind, and he's just chilling out on the mountain, having climbed Everest as as Bruce Wayne. So he's like he climbs mountains. He has a billion kung fu degrees. He speaks all these languages. He he exercises incessantly. Everybody's seen his body because he's at the pool. <laughs> yep. At the at what? So he, everybody sees how fucking ripped he is, and it's just like there's no way people wouldn't point instantly that that guy was the Batman. Yeah, he's a billionaire. That hole. Yeah, <laughs> he's a billionaire. He should have had. He should get like a fat suit made for himself. So that <laughs> Bruce Wayne just looks really out of shape whenever. I love this him. idea, Josh, for a new superhero. Uh, <laughs> do like like Christian Bale and Vice. He's just. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I but yeah, like, no, it seems like that like long run up was a cool idea like and very clearly influenced by the the 78 superman and then the story i mean like the romance with silver it's interesting that, yeah they just because i guess batman has to be tragic and like all the stuff with thorn like joker just kind of feels like not a lot like he didn't really do a lot i can see why they were like hey why why do we even have the penguin why don't we give yeah. this stuff to joker well it, mm-hmm. it's just where the joker is ultimately kind of working for thorn and that's never like a trick on the, it seems like normally it would be that thorn thinks joker is working for him yeah. and then some opportune moment the joker kills Thorn, you know, I mean, and the Joker's been working for Thorn continuously yeah, since, since they killed Thomas the Wayne. Joe so he's Chill been like stuff. Thorn's henchman for like 15 years. 
which doesn't seem like something the Joker would do. The, like the, the stuff that works the best in this for me, and I guess one could argue whether or not this feels like it should be in a Batman movie, but it's clearly what Mankiewicz like likes writing and is good at writing is the kind of like silver Bruce Howard Hoxian banter. Um, but then also kind of, I love that, you know, like taking of Pelham one, two, three era, like New York movies mm. where the best line in the movie will be delivered by a guy who only has two lines. who's like the wacky cabbie or, you know, just like all the stuff with the people on the subway, the cleaning lady who opens the elevator, just kind of these like bit parts that make Gotham feel like this lived in wacky urban city. Again, we could argue maybe that's not a great tone for Batman, but I feel like I would have liked all that shit as a kid. I mean, yeah. Batman's so ridiculous that like that kind of stuff sort of grounding it that, yeah, people live in the city and react to things can help make it feel more real, even if most of their reactions are to call Batman gay or whatever. But it was <laughs> yeah. a different era. You fruitcake. Uh, <laughs> oh, but, but, just, but to that point, um, uh, to your point, Pat, uh, that's why it the, the scene he uh, that Josh was talking about, the scenes where Josh was talking about Batman sort of taking the city by storm, they make very sure to throw that urban legend shit out the window. Batman is not an urban legend like he is at the beginning of the actual Batman 89 or anything like that. Nope. He's a guy. When he shows up, people see him with their eyes. They see him doing stuff. They see him almost die and then kick <laughs> a guy off and fuck him up. And they, they see him as a real guy who's like a daredevil that does stuff. And they go, that's the guy. Love that guy. Yeah. Yeah. That's there's also like a construction site where the news yeah. is there and everyone's watching. And he's fighting a guy named, I think, Jimmy Malone, which I found confusing since Matches Malone, for those mm. who don't know, is one of Bruce Wayne. Like it's basically his dressing up as a criminal for undercover yeah. jobs alteration. Matches Malone just going into the CD criminal bar and just hearing the rumors while he yeah. plays with his match. And Batman has so much trouble with the, with, I, I think it's almost charming how much trouble he has in his initial cases. Cause like sometimes people gloss over that part, you know, uh, Batman 89, he's been Batman for like five minutes and he's like whooping everybody's ass. Uh, and, and this one, he's like fucking up. He's fucking up in public, but showing his heroism in public, which I think is the, Mikeowitz's way of grounding him as a city hero, like you said, not hated like Spider-Man, like a real man who takes stuff into his real hands to stop real crimes. They're trying to pound that part home so that when he goes, but again, when you have Batman in broad daylight seen from boots to tip of cowl, just why didn't he get shot? Why didn't he just get sniper then, right then? Like, why? Like, why are the villains All of this old Batman stuff, whenever Batman just, like, walks into a place, is like, hey, I'm Batman. I've got a couple of questions. He, like, walks in the front door of, you know, a store that was robbed or whatever. It's like, this is not, Batman should not be walking in the front door of anywhere. It, it just feels wrong. <laughs> yeah. Dude, that, that, that freaked me out about this new flick that's coming out. It's like, having Batman yeah, the shot of walk- him, like, walking past the cops. Oh. I'm like, yeah, it, this is weird. I was like, oh, no. The buzz but, is positive, though. By the time this airs, yeah. I suppose maybe it'll come out. But it's a yeah, wait, good Steve, is this airing? I'm excited to see Well, it. this episode will for sure be well yeah, after. after. But I think it's even like, the first episode might come out right after the new movie. Yeah, it's going to be right after. Okay. Mm-hmm. The so like, let's not say anything binding about the new yeah. movie. Yeah. We seen <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm just, I'm I'm just saying that scene threw, threw, threw me off. It was like, of all the things to go like, Dark Batman Seven, great. Dark, dark, uh, you know, conception of him in the city. He's more about vengeance than maybe altruism and stuff. Super great, super on board for all that. And then to see him like, this is my buddy Gordon. Like even in the in, in the Nolan verse, in the Nolan verse, when he shows up at the bank 
after the bank has been uh, uh, robbed by the Joker in them and that opening scene with William Feichner with the grenade in his mouth at the end and all that stuff, Bat- he just shows up at the bank. There is zero way that he could have gotten all the way down to like the basement vault or whatever of a bank without being seen by all those cops. So Nolan wisely cut it out, but Batman got out of a car, walked past a bunch of cops and entered a room and then somehow disappeared at the end of the scene because that's what he has to do. It's just like, geez, Louise, stop having him be in the daylight. Just cut to him crawling through a vent. <laughs> just <laughs> gotta make dramatic exit. Can't Batman, let anyone see me use a door. Dude, Batman's scene in the daylight with cops it's just, it's wrong on a hundred million different levels to me. Plus, dude, I'm, I'm excited for the new movie. Man, I'm blown away. This shit's like two hours and 56 minutes. I'm looking at the running time right now. It's like the last, running time of this podcast. No, this yeah, movie, yeah, yeah, and, yeah and, much longer. No, it's going to be longer. And the new movie, it's like last year, every movie is two hours and a half. I'm blown away. This shit's like two, almost three hours. I mean, I'm hyped for it. I'm not going to lie. Oh, wait, hitting pause. Hyped here um yeah do we want to stop recording for tonight right here and pick this up i guess next week yeah yeah Yeah, probably should yeah okay yeah Yeah, um yeah all right i'm just just gonna stop recording then all right we are gonna hit pause there and continue the conversation in our next episode in our series of unmade batman movies right off the bat steve and i would like to thank Twain Nguyen, who was critical in providing a lot of the material we are discussing on this series so thank you sir um and thanks to ed and pat uh pat uh what can we see of your material soon or now well, check out Sonic 2, but also check out Hey, Stop Stabbing Me, the classic indie movie that you and I made 20 years ago, Josh. There's a, wow. a 20-year anniversary digitally remastered version with tons of bonus features at, from Severin Films. So Google that shit. Watch Sonic. Thank you. Uh, Ed, how about you? Uh, just check me out. Ed Grid Destroys on Twitter and uh, reboot it. Uh, reboot it channel on youtube and uh, of course uh, nerd goat podcast is the twitter home for the greatest pod which you can get on all pod platforms and you can find us on twitter at never made film and instagram at best movies never made also check out the electric now app where you can watch a video of all our podcast episodes for free thank you to everyone here at the electric surge network including bill ritter and our producers mark a altman and dean devlin until next time this is josh miller and steven scarlatta saying we won't see you at the movies. This show is produced by Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman and is an Electric Surge Network production.